This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast. Powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We are delighted to bring you season four of Driven by Data, the podcast. And our aim remains exactly the same, to bring you some of the most respected and recognized thought leadership figures from the world of data analytics to share their knowledge, ideas, use cases, and insights across how they've tackled some of the industry's most trending topics and challenges. All that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. to Driven by Data, the podcast, season four. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Barry Panay, who is the Chief Data and Insight Officer at John Lewis Partnership. So, Barry, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. No, it's all right. The pleasure's, uh, pleasure's all mine. Really looking forward to this. So, where we always start, Barry, is uh, by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey to date up until this point in time, if you would be so kind. No problem at all. Well, in some ways, I've had the most boring career or most <laughs> interesting career, depending on who you are. I'm, I'm a narrow data person, as I'll say that right now, in that all I've ever done is data. I've not grown into it uh, or stumbled into it or consciously built anything, really. My first job was a coder, um, writing code in the days of direct mail or junk mail. Uh, some people might call it in those days with the door drops and stuff like that and, and that's where I cut my teeth I moved through a couple of jobs and spent quite a while at Ernst & Young where I helped uh, set up the first data analytics consultancy there to age me roughly that was when big data became like a thing that everyone was talking about and didn't I roll their eyes at when people said it so all <laughs> of that stuff uh, right place at the right time then then it kind of skyrocketed um moved through a few places i've been chief data officer at a lloyd's of london insurance company called amlin prior to this role i was the chief data and analytics officer for the lloyd's banking group and currently chief data and insight officer at jlp so we'll probably get into this but no two of those jobs have been exactly the same which is kind of the problem and kind of the thrill of this whole thing uh, i also sit as a non-executive director at Ofgem, the UK government's energy regulator, and Reach PLC, which is a commercial news publisher. You might know some of their titles, The Mirror, The Express, The Star, so yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, really looking forward to, to kind of delving into this, I guess, as someone that's held multiple CDO type of roles in you know fairly sizable organizations, right, that are, are well known. So I'm um, looking forward to digging into kind of exactly what conditions were where and you know why this um you know maybe the the role of the the cdo is often so undefined and non-standardized and the conditions vary place to place um before we do that obviously we have listeners from 147 different countries barry so not everybody might be familiar with john lewis and the partnership so if you just want to give us a very high level overview for anybody that isn't of course john lewis uh is a retailer that primarily has three brands the john lewis brand which is a department store mid mid to premium waitrose 
uh, which sells food, quality food retail and John Lewis Financial Services, uh, which has a range of financial service products. What sets us apart is that we are employee owned. So every employee of the John Lewis Partnership is a partner uh, and we run to a constitution set by our founder, John Speed and Lewis. I could do a whole talk on on this, but it's one of the it's more than a quirk. It's the DNA of the John Lewis Partnership. We're all partners. We all have a say. We run as a democracy uh, and profits are shared uh, at the end of the year equally. Uh, and it doesn't matter what your position is in, in the organisation. So that makes it a pretty unique place to work. Um, for those not in the UK, I hope I'm not uh, overstretching by saying it's probably one of the most beloved brands in the UK. Uh, everyone yep. has a story about John Lewis or Waitrose and it holds a, a special place in people's hearts, I think, as part of our part of our tapestry. Yeah, 100%. And I guess this time of year, your creative slash marketing team will be gearing up for another big uh, Christmas advert, right, that always lands um, very, very well. Yeah, some people say it's that Coke Holidays is coming advert, but for me, it's always been the John Lewis advert. So um, keep your eyes peeled. If you enjoyed last year's one about uh, the skateboarder, I'm sure this one will hit the spot. Nice. Okay. Well, there you go. A little, little tease. I wasn't expecting that. So uh, nice. Um, obviously, you've been in the role there a little while now, Barry. I guess just give us a bit of a snapshot as to you know, the purpose of you being there and I guess, you know, what you were tasked with achieving upon kind of, you know, getting the role, um, what, three, circa three years ago, right? Two and a half, three years ago, something like that. Yeah, about three years now. Um, obviously, conversation started before then. I had a new executive chair, Dame Sharon White, came in who identified that this is going to be a really important capability for the turnaround of the business. So we're we're in a turnaround at the moment. Um, performance hasn't been great the last few years and, and the data analytics and insight capabilities were identified as something that needed formalizing and strengthening. There wasn't a profession that linked all these things together. People were, you could say, highly federated or spread all over the place, uh, depending if you want to speak in management speak or not. People with best intentions had pockets of capability. So the job was to bring everything together, get a view on what gaps there were, where the strengths were, come up with a partnership's very first data and insight strategy ever, sell that in to, to the board and uh, just deliver it. So we, um, it wasn't a blank canvas because people had been put together roughly in a kind of organizational diagram way without really thinking about what the needs of the business were so it was like a can you make this function from scratch here are the ingredients there's some great partners and great capability there but we don't really know what we don't know yet so that was really exciting to, to build it and, and that was the brief a few years ago nice yeah so does your role sit across when you talk about the partnership is that the three separate Very brands much, you, yeah, yeah? Nice. Yeah, it used nice. to be the case. It's exactly the right question. So it used to be the case that there were some people working in Waitrose and in John Lewis. And indeed, within those sub teams, depending on whether you were buying merchandising, trading, customer marketing, supply chains, ops, all this stuff. So it was really fragmented. Uh, this is across everything. Yeah, nice. Okay, good stuff. Um, so I guess let's begin 
at the start then, right? We're, we're going to be talking today, obviously, about the role of the CDO and I guess everything that comes with that and, and you know, maybe try and tackle in our own little way why there's so much debate around the tenure and why that's a problem and so on and so forth. Um, do you think, from your experience of having been a CDO in, in a few different organisations now, that most organisations hire a CDO for the right reasons and I guess kind of know what they are looking to achieve by by doing so? In short, no. <laughs> I think that uh, the, the ratio is improving. Like we're, be- we're better than we were. But if, um, if I had to answer yes or no, the answer is no but for both parts of your question. I think um, there's still the majority of CDOs hired for the wrong reasons. And I still think there's the majority of those making the decisions that don't quite understand what the role should be and what it can do for them. So that double whammy probably explains quite a lot of the challenges that people have when they're in these roles or, or similar. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm obviously given our line of work, you know, and the fact that we run a search firm where we help organizations often to shape some of these roles, it does often amaze me the amount of conversations we do get into where I'm questioning, well, why do you think that you might need that type of skill set? Or, you know, even little things, you know, like think about probably eight years ago, I'd sat in countless meetings with CEOs of businesses saying, yeah, you don't really need to hire that. You know, you don't need a team of 15 data scientists, right? I don't think it's kind of exclusive to the CDO role. I think there's just this bit of hype around data and everyone rushes towards it. And I think often the amount of investment that's gone into it now, most businesses are thinking, okay, we probably need someone to sit over the top and kind of knit all of this together, but still often aren't exactly sure what it is they're supposed to be kind of, you know, what the direction of travel is you know i think that's what i see quite quite frequently um you mentioned there about obviously the people that make those decisions i guess their understanding of the role that probably leads into then well why they hire based on what they think they need versus probably what they actually in reality need right you know has your experience taught you anything there at at the broadest level i think decisions are made to hire someone to lead the data team now, whatever that data team is, it could be anything from data engineering to BI to governance to AI to, you know, whatever. So let's just call it the data team. We can go into that later, I suppose. So they're hiring someone, a leader, to run the data team. Uh, and the chief role there is a chief data officer. So, ergo, uh, we need a chief data officer. Uh, I think that's wrong. They might have been right a while ago, I suppose. And maybe that is the head of analytics role or something. In my opinion, the chief data officer or analytics or insight, whatever, you know, the names are crazy and the roles are all different. But again, we'll talk about that later. This role, in my opinion, should be hired to get the whole organization better at using data analytics, insight, whatever, to drive performance, whatever that means. Also, there is a team that uh, deliver this stuff and of course you should be running that team that's really important but if you're running a data team then you're falling into we're the data team internal consultancy narrative which i think was quite popular about 15 20 years ago you hire a center of excellence back then then basically an internal consultancy and i think that's quite wrong the the role is across the whole organization not just 
your team because that doesn't scale. I've not done a startup ever. I'm not very entrepreneurial, probably because I'm boring and risk averse. But if I did, <laughs> a, a, a business model wouldn't be for every time a new piece of work comes in, we have to increase the number of people to do that work. But there's no economies of scale. So you need people to ask the right questions and understand what data can do for them, self-serve where necessary. Don't ask the wrong sort of questions. Yeah, I know it's quite fashionable to say there's no such thing as like wrong questions, but you know, there are, aren't there? So the, the point is get the whole organization a little bit better at using it versus we've got this big team here and the person that leads it's just left. We need someone else to run this big team. It's not what a CDO does, in my opinion, that it shouldn't be. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely agree. I think, uh, I mean, I, I find it fascinating that we're still having these types of conversations, to be honest with you, right? And I think it comes back to that, you know, the decisions that happen in the boardroom about what type of person we need to to hire and the the kind of maybe the disparity in thinking around around that process in of itself, right? You know, because what, what I tend to see happen a lot is really exactly everything that you've just outlined there is what a CEO or board wants from their investments into data analytics, right? It's the only reason that they're building this team, hiring these people, buying the tech and the tools and everything that comes with it is to ultimately drive better business performance. Like they want to have a better business. That's why they're doing this, right? And obviously there's a whole host of things that fall off of that, but that's what they want. But then when they go to hire, often many organizations get that bit wrong. And, you know, because I don't know, right, we might need a platform they will go and hire someone that's great at building a platform. And then 18 months later, they come with a handout saying, okay, where's the return right on this investment? And it's like the, often these organizations are, in my opinion, setting people and themselves up to fail because you know what the skill set they need isn't the skill set they hire. And I think that's where we you know start to butt heads on that. The way you describe that is accurate, not a way I've thought about it before, but the way you describe it then, the logic would lead to them thinking the CDO is a bit of a transitionary role to fix a thing, a new platform or new governance or new MLOps or whatever. But I don't think I'm being controversial to say well, it's not a transitional role. It's not, not you know, it's not the chief electricity officer or whatever analogy loads of other people have used. Like it's a role that will be a role for a long time, like the CFO. The nature of the role will change. And for it to be sustainable, the person needs to be across that change and drive it not be delivering a set of projects because someone somewhere has got it on their scorecard that they need to upgrade x y and z and if that's the case then all cdo jobs will just be uh, fixed term contracts to get a certain thing done hmm. yeah 100 percent. no I, I absolutely agree with that i guess just want to pick up on something that you mentioned um around you know the center of excellence and the whole narrative around the data team being an internal consultancy I think there's a lot of organizations still very much in that space where you know they they might quite proudly wear that as the badge of how they operate right why, why do you think that is wrong out of interest i don't like it it's my personal view <laughs> um because it creates a it's a barrier either that that then leads to people saying things like you know, when we went to speak to the business you've got people in your team saying oh we need to go speak to the business about this wake up but we are the business you know part of getting stuff on the shelf in the shops involves us selling that stuff involves us the website involves us the, the staff scheduling involves us we're 
we're kind of everywhere and the kind of looking at your feet and being awkward data person caricature that people have that they just want to bung them all in the middle and they're the big brain you can tap into is outdated in my opinion and if you're an internal consultancy i can guarantee you you'll be as good at being a consultancy as a consultancy <laughs> like you know if you, if you want a consultancy that's a deep expert will come in and do a small thing very slick slides and so on i don't, I don't understand it and, and also I found the very best data people that have ever worked for me can't think of anything worse than to be a back office data consultancy. You've got to be close to it. And um, the operating model around the data team is another massive, massive subject. And that's where you've got to either unlock this or find a way of making it work. But this centre of excellence equals internal consultancy. I don't buy it. And I don't I don't think it breeds respect. And I, a very wise mentor of mine, uh, Tony Casson Scott, I'll mention him because he'll pick me up on not crediting him with a great insight, <laughs> said to me that people only really value what they pay for if you're a consultancy. So if you're the internal consultancy, but you're free in, in all intents and purposes, people don't are not think you're very good. And if you're going to charge for it, they're going to think you're taking the mick. <laughs> so you're, you're absolutely lose-lose. You've got a very good way of putting these things. And um, he's right. You know, they, aren't, they, the business, even forces you to talk in this horrible way. The business are not paying for it directly. So why do they think you're this great consultancy? Mm. Yeah, you probably guessed. So I've not got a very balanced opinion on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always find it interesting and fascinating in equal measure, you know, when we get into them top conversations around the business, because it's, you know, as you say, it's, well, do you not work there you're not getting paid like sure surely everyone is is the business right and i think yeah sometimes that kind of language can make those barriers even worse like a us and them thing right which isn't healthy at all um, it does. and no other function describes itself in that way so the cfo function would not say we're the financial consultancy for the business the buying team for electronics in john lewis would not say with a consultant, with electronics consultant, they're, they're, they're part of the job. A really important part of the job is to select, buy, figure out the right things to buy. You know, we're part of that in a little way. The the CFO's team are embedded in everything, but somehow the data teams, the, the, the IT teams have never fallen into it, probably because they're much more maligned than us, right? They're, they wouldn't even get credited by being called an internal consultancy. They're, they're uh, they're even more in the back office, and I feel for them at times. But the CDO team have fallen into this trope of internal consultancy, which is not helpful. Do you think there's any relationship there with this kind of, I guess, perceived kind of lack of value, or maybe just the actual lack of value? Who knows? But do you think there's anything within that as to the kind of perception of, you know, a data and analytics team and what it can bring as opposed to it being, you know, enterprise wide? trying to improve performance, you know, cross-functionally across a business? Mm, I think there's something there. So traditionally, I would say, in defense of everyone that will classify themselves as the business, so not CDO, the, the CDO teams perhaps haven't been a good at articulating either the direct value that they have a hand in. So at, 
a model that's gone live that is driving incremental sales and is empirically baked into benefits cases. Um, and even worse, at the indirect value, you know, we've created a single customer view or something, and that's enabled, blah, blah, blah. We're rubbish at doing that technically, and it's probably not, not helped. But there are ways to ensure that benefit is booked and allocated if that's what's important to the business. Um, and some CDO teams, I suppose, 80% of their output is PowerPoint. You know, interesting stuff. Yeah, so I hate interesting stuff. Like what, what are we going to do? And the shift now, I think, is to get hands-on in really driving an action. And whether that be it's in a customer-facing part of the website or on a device in store, or the insights have actually been followed through to construct a proposition, for example. Because I own both the Qual and Quant research bit of insight as well as the uh, more traditional mining our transactional data and it's that tra triangulation of this is what uk consumers think and these are the trends in the market this is what our customers are doing and what the predictive models say therefore the data team need to be more punchy and say we know this is happening inside and outside the organization this is what we think we should do this is a, a model the answer could be a model it could just be a dashboard or it could be a suggestion to the CRM team. And then you need to make sure that it's booked and tracked with your friendly finance business partner on both sides of the equation. Um, and if that's not the business, I don't know what is. But we don't do ourselves favors as an industry. We churn out interesting PowerPoint that takes ages and is beautiful, maybe without stopping to think of what anyone's going to do with it, even though someone asks a question. I think yeah. we often get carried away and it could be a whole study, you know? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think over the years, probably everyone that's listened to this podcast will have seen an instance like that, right? Where there's been a solution that's been created and it might be the shiniest, sexiest, latest, greatest, biggest potential thing ever, but actually it's the either the wrong solution, the wrong time, doesn't tackle a problem or an opportunity right now. Right, which then therefore it doesn't get used, and then you get into this whole thing about adoption and culture and everything that that falls off of that. Very quickly, Barry. Obviously, on the, you know, there's a whole host of research out there, but you know, everyone refers to the Gartner stuff around eighty percent of data analytics projects don't, you know, reap the benefits that they were expected to to deliver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you think that is a an actual thing of the value isn't being created, or do you think back to your point, it's more how do we quantify and articulate it properly? I think there's a bit of that. I also wonder with those stats, how many of the, let's put all our data onto a big new platform. So, you know, in the early 2000s, uh, big data warehouse, then you, everyone was talking about the lake, then everyone was talking about the lake house, and now we're talking about mesh. And those are the big ones that are multi-year, probably last longer than the person that kicked them off, cost loads of money and overrun. Now, if that, that's a data project. I can kind of believe the stat. Um, I'd call that infrastructural, very important infrastructural stuff. The stat I'd really, I'm getting into like definitions here, trying to pick Gartner up on their definition. I probably should know this, but if it is the we need to sell more stuff, or we need to reduce waste, or margin needs to improve, or stock levels need to improve, or delivery needs to be more on time, real projects, then um I don't know if I do believe the stat, but I do believe 
there will be a loads of unbooked benefit, which is cool if there's a handshake at the exec that says, we all agree that data is fueling pretty much everything. In some areas, it will be not a lot. And in other areas, it will be almost all of it. We can spend ages coming up with a way of booking and tracking it, which I'm happy to do. Or we can just all agree that it's bloody important and use it. And then let's not have this conversation again. But we're in this halfway house, I think, mm. where you kind of book some of it, but not all. And if it's not directly linked, then you don't get it. And then that leads into that 80% stat. And value is different in each place. So when I was at the bank, it was there was a lot of risk mitigation and governance and data management and giving comfort on that. It's very valuable. Here, as we are a retailer, now we buy stuff for a cost. We then put it into places and sell it and aim to make money on it. That That's what we do. Uh, and the data team are part of that. And so value here has to be either getting that process done efficiently or tweaking bits of that selling process. And um, you need to see where you are on that customer journey or logistics or whatever. And, and define the value It's so difficult. Um, it, it is just so difficult how you split the value up properly because there's not a physical product. Probably more difficult in retail than anywhere else I've worked because the rest of the business, you can get pretty close to what the cost of the goods sold is and what the actual margin is. And therefore, like, there's a thing that's made money. So I actually think culturally it's um, it's more challenging in a retailer to make the case for direct benefits from data because that stuff's up we're buying stuff and we're selling it buying stuff moving it and selling it all the time they were doing it before we were here so it's even more difficult so it's a bit of an industry in itself isn't it mm. fueled yeah. by the stats from Gartner saying you know all data projects are rubbish <laughs> my executive summary of like every Gartner report <laughs> In the last 25 years yeah absolutely um very quickly on that then you, do you find yourself in an environment where data is just known that data is important and we don't need to have these conversations or have you had to find a way of saying like this is how we book and demonstrate the value it's that yeah it's me um and it depends on the operating model and the part of the business so on the websites here for example it's beautiful because you can make changes, change the recommendation or the process or what a customer sees based on these data models and A-B test them and empirically prove it. And the people that work in those teams are used to that way of working. So that's quite cool. When you're physically shipping stuff around and you're making some changes and it's not all in control of the model, there are other factors. It's more fuzzy. And I think you just have to be cognizant of that it is fuzzy, acknowledge it, and just say, is it better now than it was before? Yeah. And if you've made X million more money, do we want to sit here and argue whether it was two, nine, a hundred, or do you just want to say that's worked? Uh, and we think that the work the data team done, we're well, certain the work the data team done has contributed to that because what well, pricing or efficiency or whatever it is. And then just leave it at that. Like I don't, I don't think you'll ever solve it. And there's always politics at play in every organization that I've ever worked in. Uh, do I care who really gets the credit? No, no, I don't think I do. As long as there's the broad agreement that the boat's going quicker because of the stuff we're doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I think it's interesting that you even, you know, talk about their, you know, talked about being cognizant, but I think, you know, for a lot of people listening to this, it'd be interesting to even get their view on, you know, are they cognizant of the fact that it isn't, you know, either or, like there will be in, there might be some stakeholders, right, that, yeah, you have to find a way to book that value, as you put it, right, and there'll be other stakeholders that just completely believe in it and, and get it, so it's not always a one-size fits all thing for every kind of stakeholder and every department across the business which i think is quite interesting actually because you tend to get into conversations that either lean to well yes we do it this way because we have to and it's you know we need to show the value or then you know the other side of the coin is now nah, the business gets it it's fine we're cool yeah you know it's hard isn't it like there's the the really robotic way that would bring some certainty which would have have unintended consequences on loads of work that wouldn't get done would be my hypothesis, or the or the blind faith way, which is cute. Like I'd, I'd love that <laughs> the case, but uh, I've learned so much working. And here's my first big retail gig. I did a bit when I was a consultancy. Uh, and the analogy I have is, if you're in charge of buying ice cream for a supermarket, and it's the middle of August, and we have a terrible weekend where the weather's rubbish. No one buys any ice cream. So is that because you've messed up? Like you're in charge of have you messed up? Or has the weather just been bad that day? Yeah, you know, and you can spend ages explaining and normalizing, saying, well, if you normalize for the weather, actually, is it not bad sales of ice cream? So actually we've got the right ice cream. No, you say, well, the ice cream buyer knows what they're doing. Like it's a bit of a naughty example. But I mean, it's the same with data. You could do some stuff, but events, events happen, don't they? The supply chain might be held up or a competitor does a promotion or there's some other thing going on in in the media so i worry about over overcooking it but i also i'm not naive enough to suggest the blind faith you know believe in us way will work either it's tough are you ready to accelerate from data aware to data driven look no further than Dufresne, the data company that's changing the game for businesses like yours with a global footprint and one of the largest teams of data professionals in the UK, we specialise in helping organisations make the best use of their data, allowing you to harness hidden insights and accelerate your customer experience, growth and run your business with informed decisions. We don't just help you govern and manage data, we help you become AI ready. We become your critical friend. We advise, we translate, we deliver, we execute. With over 100 enterprise clients over five years, join the list of forward-thinking data leaders who are making data a priority for their business. Visit Dufresne.co.uk today and talk to us about our insights across the data landscape. Dufresne, where data meets our data pioneers. Yeah, 100%. I guess I'm really keen to get into the operating model and um, the fact that you also owned the the insights piece barry is is interesting because i'm starting to notice a little bit of a trend on that so i definitely want to speak about that but i just want to bring us back to the to the technology piece again a little bit and obviously you referenced there if gartner are referring to the infrastructure projects then you probably believe that that stat would be fairly accurate i think from my perspective that is the large majority of most data analytics initiatives right inside an organization does start with those big infrastructure projects you know and i think that's why then i mean titles in our industry are so non-standardized and undefined right but it doesn't really matter what we call the role if it's the most senior person in data but you're hiring it based on to come in and build a platform or a lake house or whatever the case may be then kind of 
that's kind of where I think most organizations still are. And obviously the role needs to evolve and probably the person needs to evolve, or it may need to be a completely different skill set once you get to a certain level of maturity from building the infrastructure to using the data to drive value, right? I think that's that's that is what it is. But do you think the relationship between I guess technology, broadly speaking, and the role of the CDO is problematic or causes challenges? It's a pain in the bum that most <laughs> places have been to, actually. Yeah. Partly because of me and my attitude and prejudices. And it's easy to beat up IT, isn't it? And I've done my fair share of it. Totally a bit like confession this, but um probably <laughs> done it a bit not in the right way uh, in the early years, certainly when I was the frustrated recipient of the data that was either late or rubbish or in the wrong place or whatever. Now here, we've recently hired a new CTO here uh, and it is different. The, the link up between CDO and CTO is actually, I was going to touch some wood, but there's none in this. <laughs> this but yeah, it's good. And the reason I think the relationship is good is because the squads are multidisciplinary that we're working on this and we've got a very product-led way. So we're delivering data product. We understand the engineering resource and infrastructure resource needed to do it. And as far as the rest of the business is concerned, because this is a retailer, you know, one of the best retailers there is, in my opinion, they really don't care about the differences between IT and data. Like, there's just no, there's no point. I couldn't even moan about it if I wanted to, because no one cares, which is great. You know, it just stuff needs to tell. If the data's not there, uh, it's not even point. There's no point me trying to work out whose fault it is. This is a waste of waste of time. So, why is it not there? Is a pipeline broken? Is one of one of the models my team's done fallen over or changed? Uh, is Tableau down and they can't see the the dashboard or whatever it is? And there is that element of working together and my team product own the data products but the cto team own a lot of the resources that are hands-on keys for the the pure engineering bits of it so we're working together unlike other teams where there's a neat what i've worked in where there's just a neat handoff so the cio team you write some requirements they'll do some stuff Hopefully it's not in the 80% that Gardner talk about, so you get something at the end of it. And then we do all of our cool stuff on top, moan that the data's, you know, not right and slow and everything. We do our bit and we hand it off. That's not the case. And that runs from stuff that you think would be traditionally IT-ish, like building the whatever big blob of data in the middle. I don't want to call it a, a lake. You put all your data in one place project. All these days, make it look like it's in one place project. <laughs> We all work together and we do the, and we also work together on things that you might think are more in my wheelhouse, like MLOps platform to put our AI, AI models live to joint team. The BI self-serve stuff, that's a joint team because it is to do with the tooling and infrastructure and support as much as it is to do with the prettiness and education and building the dashboards and blah, all that stuff that everyone's listening to this knows about. So. Uh, I might be late to the party, but it's taken me probably about 22 years <laughs> to get, or 21 years maybe, to get over my CDO versus CIO best of frenemies shtick. <laughs> I, 
I'm sure it's yeah. still the case elsewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, it it definitely is. I, I just wonder sometimes whether if you take it back, you know, up into the boardroom, whether, and I know you said there, obviously, they, they couldn't care less whether it's the CTO, the CIO, the CDO, like providing stuff's getting done and it's working, you know, that's all they care about, which I, you know, I imagine is absolutely the case. But I do sometimes wonder if we go back to the top of the conversation when we talk about, you know, does this challenge stem from the hiring process for the role? Um, I do wonder whether there's confusion at that level around well, what what is the purpose of the chief data office as it were and a lot of them confuse it with the technical elements of what you've just described you know your your peer does right and therefore they hire a cdo but put them in effectively the wrong seat right if we're talking about the cdo's role being the person that gets the organization to use the data to drive performance um so i think that's yeah that confusion probably isn't helping i guess no, you're absolutely right. And the mitigating circumstance, I think, for me in this role is I get on with the CTO and I know them and we understand what bits need to get carved up where and we're not precious. If we one of us might slightly overstep on one thing by accident, trust each other. So it's fluke, I suppose, that the personalities work. But I could see a case where if someone else had been hired into the seat then it might get a little bit turf war-ish, which doesn't help the business. Because then what you've done is you've created an additional layer of friction between them needing something to happen and it happening, because then we're like, well, we're going to hand that over to the CIO team now. And that, and we need to make sure they will only take it if we've done these things, like met an SLA, and then we won't take the stuff from them because we need someone to blame if it goes wrong. Or meanwhile, things are not getting done like product isn't getting bought or shipped or sold or put on the website because of some nonsense grudge who owns what handbags you know which is not not right so once i smell that sort of thing happening there needs to be heads knocked together and this is not happening at the moment here not i'm not saying it's working brilliantly but we're absolutely working on it together which is interesting because if you'd ask me 20 years ago, I'd been able to tell you exactly what I think a CTO, a CIO, and a CDO do, but it's probably got more and more fuzzy, I think. Mm -hmm. if there's, there's the edge cases, which are very obvious, so data science and BI research and insight at one end, and boxes and wires and provisioning servers, and I just those are words I know. I don't really know what they mean. I've heard they're important. All that stuff. But then there's quite a big big overlap where it might not be 50 50 working on stuff together but you can't get your job done without the other one and it's quite rare i think that that interdependency happens and it's very right that they're two different disciplines but it shades uh isn't it it's just completely depends on the organization i've been places where the cdo function is analytics mm -hmm. uh, you know and that's it and i've been places where the cdo function is just governance management you know, metadata management quality all this stuff um so that's a big problem that i'm not sure whether get solved in my career so he's just got to kind of get on with it yeah i, I guess as you said there the, the kind of the, the graying and the fuzziness of that is probably just a byproduct of the fact that most organizations now are doing 
something or more with data and they know the importance of it right so it's you know i guess that's just bound to bound to happen um what do you make of the whole conversation around things like culture and literacy and adoption and all of that things that you know are often kind of pinned up as the the reason as to why there is such failure in quotation marks in the industry things are important very important um, I don't really like the word literacy. Imagine if someone called you illiterate, that's pretty bad. Um, but the ability to understand what data can do, um, how to get hold of it, where it is, who to ask if you get stuck, uh, and the the letting go of personal pride to understand there might be other ways of doing things, which someone who's smarter than me, who's works in culture and people could probably work out like what I mean by that. But they're all important. I don't think that is the sole reason why things fail. But I certainly think if you want something to fail, a good way of doing it is by exhibiting the poor bit of the spectrum of those behaviours. Um, what what culture culture change is also awful as a term, I think. But sort of getting more education and engagement and stuff out there is really important, and it is super good to do like user groups, hackathons, but also brass tacks, hard training for people that they have to do. One of the things I really respected Lloyd's Banking Group for was they made a certain level of data training mandatory. So, you know, when you get like, what fire extinguisher would you use if your printer was on fire training and stuff like that? The, da the data part of that, when you join, you have to do it, do it every year. People roll their eyes or whatever, but the words were there in front of you and you had to answer your little quiz and you kind of it pointed you to the team i really liked that they did that mm. uh, and it matters and we're doing a thing here with the data apprenticeship levy where we're giving people qualifications that aren't in my team and we do the data science apprenticeship as well for people in my team that might want to do it but mostly we're doing it across the business at the more base level of data fluency so all of the all of that needs to be combined with the let's get some pieces in a meeting room and show people some lovely dashboards, which is brilliant. But I think you also need to get a bit harder with what exactly do you want the base level to be? And the CDO teams, rightly, I think everyone's data strategy now should have a pillar that says either comms and engagement or culture and blah, whatever. But you can't just write that and then run some events and expect the organization to change. I think you're going to have to get a bit more prescriptive. And again, I've messed that up a bit, quite a bit uh, over the years where I've kind of expected people to just, well, why don't they want to come and do this stuff? And the ones that turn up, of course, are super enthusiastic and they're not the ones you want to turn up because they're really good anyway. And they just want to be helped. You want all the people that aren't turning up to turn up and reaching them and having people in your team whose job it is to do that is so important in my opinion and that's not a role within the cdo team that was there when i started out um but now it should be a role that sits at the cdo's leadership team in my opinion because unless you've got a massively inefficient company or you're in a data company where data is your business 99 point something percent of the people that need to use data aren't sitting in your team mm -hmm. yet you're obsessed about the people that are in your team which if they can't use data, then you've messed up. You've hired the wrong ones and they should be fired. So uh, <laughs> you need to focus on the rest. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I mean, that makes um, perfect sense. Um, so many questions that we we could go here. I'm conscious of of time, Barry. To be honest with you, quick one. In obviously, you've been in the industry a long time, right? Twenty four years now. The I guess there's this notion of kind of salesmanship or or selling that uh, I guess is is almost now becoming a part of the CDO role to you know sell the strategy to the board and sell the importance of it to the people within the business to use it more and all of that type of stuff. Do you think that the role of the CDO needs to kind of embrace that a little bit more? I think maybe not direct selling. If we're going to go down the selling analogy, um, people are a bit tired of it now, maybe because we've bodged it up so much over the years, maybe false promises and things. I imagine a lot of boards and execs have heard that. However, what I found to be the most effective is uh, other people doing it because you've made them more money and CDOs being cool with that. So I want someone who works in department X to go to the exec and say, our sales were this and now they're this because we decided that we're going to do this and we've got data in it and all this stuff. That's compelling because at the moment, most execs and boards don't have a data person on there. What they do have are the people that run the commercial entities of the business or the finance ones. And if someone from one of those teams is up there selling, great. But do it that way. Um, of course, I don't want data to be, be put in the corner. I don't want that. There are other ways of getting limelight. But when it comes to driving commercial performance and selling the capability, the people that are booking the money and in the tills should be the ones talking about it. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, very good. Um want to touch on the kind of operating model and reporting lines and structures and things like that, because obviously I know you, you referenced it before and it's... Um, you know, these things tend to go in cycles, right? And there's pros and cons of, of everything. But do you think that the whole thing of where data reports um, within an organization and the operating model that you have, does that play a role in how successful, in your opinion, a CDO can be? I spent a long time being obsessed with where a CDO reports. There's probably <laughs> evidence on the internet somewhere of me saying stuff that I don't agree with now. Um, but I would say that the operating model and the structure are two quite different things, and the structure should serve the operating model. That sounds a bit rubbish consultancy. It's too long being an internal consultant saying that sort of stuff. But if, um, if, and it depends on the makeup of the exec, of course, where, where one reports to, I still believe that it's not optimal to have the CDO reporting into a tech person. Not because the tech person can't handle it, I think it optically sets the wrong tone um, and it makes it a subset of tech. So I don't really like that. Then it kind of just depends. There are some CDOs that are talking about what we need to be into the CEO. The data is important, like we must be in the CEO. That's great too, but what support is the CEO? The CEO can give you the ultimate support of support. But on the ground, actually, when you need to be getting into really gnarly projects and details, is the CEO the right person? If you're not in a tech-type company, I'm not sure. I think it matters hugely. And also, I found when recruiting people, that's a question they ask. 
what line are you in? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think a lot of consideration has to be spent there. And then the operating model, of course, matters. If you're highly distributed and federated, then your reporting line and your management line are probably different. Like what your HR system says and what PowerPoint says and what happens day to day are really different. If you're a highly centralized team, probably matters more. And you've got to be looking at that person saying, is that the exec member that's going to be banging the table, fighting our corner, really? And you don't want to be bundled in with other stuff that will always be a higher priority. So I worry with tech that there's so much stuff to fix and big, big telephone number projects to fix stuff. So when you're saying I want to do some kind of cute data science stuff and it's worth X million or Y million, they'll say, oh, that's nice. If we don't fix this thing here, there's hundreds and hundreds of millions, like the world's going to end. And you're absolutely right. The problem is you're just trading off two things that should never be traded off. So I think it's to do with what the trade-offs are within that directorate is what you need to look at. Yeah. You can't have that conversation where your data projects are being played off against something that's completely incomparable. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I think as you very rightly described, that that definitely is a question right now that more and more, even at the practitioner level, you'll find people asking, like, you know, where does where does what is the reporting line and structure um because i think many organizations uh, many people have gone into organizations and probably feel that they've been burnt over the years by you know this whole notion of we're a data-driven company and actually they deliver a load of work that doesn't get used they realize it's not a data-driven company and now they want to work somewhere where it will get used because that's better for their career and you know the whole fact that they now have a purpose and they're having impact and and so on and so forth right and i guess in theory whilst it shouldn't matter too much where a cdo sits i think the harsh reality of the situation is that anytime it does sit within tech broadly speaking there is a little grimace of oh that's not favorable right so yeah you'll need a good narrative to sell it's the least worst option for sure and i think it's pretty easy for people to say oh structure doesn't matter i think it's been that's not true i think it does mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting one thing i wanted to pick up with you barry was obviously i'm starting to see now and i don't know whether this is a trend or i'm just because i'm speaking to certain types of people at certain types of levels but the kind of chief data and insight as per your title seems to be a thing that's starting to come to together now i've had three or four conversations this week with you know people from large organizations that have that title and they are all kind of talking up the benefit of bringing data and insight together so you get to that kind of so what piece because that then drives impact Vicky, just to kind of get your overarching thoughts on on that was that an intentional thing was that driven by the business did you put your arm well, there's a reason it? why i joined um because insight is insight and it can come from loads of different sources it could come from your own data it could come from external data it could come from a focus group it could come from a piece of well-constructed research. All that stuff is important. Now, if the teams are separate, right, let's not pretend everyone always plays nicely all the time and that people even know they exist. There's two separate teams. You've got one drilling into our data saying our customers like this, so therefore you should do this. You've got another set saying consumers are saying this, so we should do this. If you're lucky, they'll agree. Most of the time, 
They won't because they're two different sets. One, they may be customers and non-customers or target customers and non-target and blah, what's a live customer? So you then argue, you end up with, if you're lucky, someone on the exec catches the fact that there's two PowerPoints doing the rounds that are saying different things. You then have a meeting. Everyone argues why their one is right, wasting time. They're both right. They're just both different. So for me, it's all about the triangulation. And the people in my team are beginning to appreciate the skill sets of the other side that they've not worked with before. So if you're a quant researcher, you're a hardcore stats head. And that's news to a lot of people who are writing code every day who think they're the computer scientists, statisticians. They are too. That's very different. So the quant researchers might be dealing with data sets that are quite shallow, but they're bloody wide and difficult and messy. Yeah. Uh, and there's real rigor there. And of course, on the other side, you've got someone who's drilling into billions of rows of data. So for me, having these teams separate creates a risk that you are going to come up with bum insights or insights that aren't as good as they could be because you're not representing the customer. The customer doesn't care if you only know about when they've swiped their card or when they've answered a questionnaire or whatever. Like, I just think you need to view the whole person. And the transactional data gives you so much and so much richness and you can do so much detailed analysis. And the insight stuff requires that as well as the other stuff. Now, if, you, if you're a data team and the insight stuff is in marketing, say, or something, then you need to be very deliberate about joining all that stuff up. And I'm just skeptical about that ever happening properly. Mm. Yeah, that's really, uh, really interesting. And I guess one of those things logically makes perfect sense. And you sit here and wonder why more businesses aren't, <laughs> aren't going down that route, right? But um, a few last questions from, from me then, Barry. Um, maybe slightly controversial, but we'll we'll give it a go. Um, is there a relationship, in your opinion, between how organizations can use or do utilize consulting firms and expertise and I guess the tenure of a CDO or the, their ability to have impact and be successful? I think one impacts the other. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there are a lot of slick operators that very rightly talk about hundreds of millions and billions of pounds of benefit that data should deliver, whispering in bald ears, who are then asking why you're not doing it. Whatever you say is an excuse. And then when the consultants come in, it's not really their fault because they've done it for a client X, Y, Z, and here, you know, they can't get the data or whatever it is. So I think it creates an unnecessary amount of heat when done in the wrong way. Um, but when it's done correctly, we've got some consultants in at the moment who absolutely are bringing something that we haven't got or are working as part of the, the team to deliver loads. And they can say, we have done this at this other place. Don't bother about building this from scratch. Just use this. Mm. Or this is where the gold's buried. Um, and they, these, there are, this another podcast completely, I'm sure. But the characteristics of the consultancies I think work really well with data teams are really different to the characteristics of most other consultancies. I think there's, um, there's some people that really roll up their sleeves and sit with the team and are absolutely awesome. And we've got some here. And there are some that you don't want to go to any meetings with, but you know, if you're not in the meeting, something terrible is going to be signed off. <laughs> and um, that, that's, a, that's an element sometimes in some organizations, I think of naivety, there's no ill intention at all. 
Mm. This is consultants' jobs to sell. They're good at it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and obviously you've been one, so I think you have some grounds to um, kind of have that opinion. I guess. Um, yeah, interesting. I know you've obviously been in the industry a long time, Barry. Twenty twenty odd years now. I guess more out of curiosity than anything else. But have things changed, or is it a lot of the same? And, and I guess what? Uh, you know? Yeah, everything and nothing. Like I, <laughs> the, I think the the hype and buzz has really, really helped. Like you're not the stuff we're trying to get done now is definitely further up the value chain than it was before. Right. So that's a tick. Um, I think maybe the conversation is stagnating a little bit, and people aren't building it into the way they're running their businesses. That's in my boring autobiography that I'll never write. And one of the breaths will be, what have we really made? What as an industry, CDOs, what have we really changed? We've delivered all this money, but have we changed the way fabric of organizations is put together? I don't know. Who what CDO has been promoted to the CEO of somewhere like this year? I don't know. I've not got the stats. I'm guessing it's like none or near. Um and that that's a data point, isn't it? So it was none 20 odd years ago and it's none now. But we see marketers, CFOs, chief risk officers, COOs, lawyers. That's the pipeline to be CEO or chair. And data isn't there, is it? Like I would, I can tell you why it should be, but the fact is it ain't. So we've changed lots of little things, but I don't think we've changed the big thing. And we need to kind of live up to our own hype a bit. Mm. So this might segue quite nicely if we've got time just very quickly to touch upon it into the kind of NED slash board advisory things right because if you think about around those boardroom tables everything that you've just said from finance to legal to marketing to risk to compliance to operations there's a lot of boards that are made up from you know external advisors and and NEDs that are you know from that background very few that I know of that you know have someone of data represented at that level, which obviously you are in two two organisations. Do you think that plays a part into why maybe it's not seen? You know, the CDO is as a persona isn't seen as someone viable yet until it becomes a little bit more. I think so. I think so. I, I, I'm utterly privileged to sit on the boards of the two organisations. I do um, feel very lucky to do so. But I think it has, it enables a different conversation to happen. And I guess there's a top down and bottom up demand, isn't there? So if, if you're doing great work as, as a data person and it gets recognized and you get pulled through, then great. But also the board should be challenging their execs. So, okay, so Gen AI, all this, you've had all the consultancies come in and tell you all these amazing things it can do, or someone trying to scare the pants a few of the things it could do. What? Who on the execs responsible for this? Mm. And what? What's our view on it? And what's the strategy? You ask some ask some questions at that board level, and if enough of the right questions are asked, then you're either going to have an exec team that can answer them really quickly, or you ain't, uh, and that might help. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Cool. Well, look to to finish, Barry, because uh, really appreciate your time and, and know you're a, you're a busy man. I guess just to kind of surmise all of this kind of conversation that we've had, if you were to kind of give, you know, CDOs or aspiring CDOs, your kind of, you know, a few bits of advice as to 
what to think about to be successful and you know maybe improve like the tenure of the cdo and all of that type of stuff um what, what have you got for us i think it starts at the interview stage for a job um turn the interview around more and ask about what's the exact conversation on this uh, and what's the aspiration for the company on this have a view on what you would like to do and set the tone immediately and stop being uh, subservient as i think those people are because we've been brought up as you're the back office people ask you stuff you do it and if you do it well people say you're very good actually turn it have a bit more confidence in ourselves because there's some brilliant cdos that have not lasted a year or two years and it's not because they can't do the job they're absolutely brilliant i just think well, i blame the companies for not setting the right expectation so i think have confidence because if you're good at it and you know you're good at it then no one else can tell you you're not because it's a very specific skill set so i i would I'd not be punchy, but I'd be confident and I would have a vision and show that you understand the business, not just what a data mesh is or what an MLOps vendor should be. Yeah, 100%. Well, Barry, look, thank you so much for your time. It was such, a, such an insightful conversation. And um, yeah, I'm sure people like the uh, kind of straight down the line approach for sure. So um, thank you very much for your time and look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. 